Hi, I'm Emily Abbott, the founder of The Brain Possible. We've created this space, our website, and this podcast to offer hope, to explore possibility over limitations, and to create community for families of exceptional children like yours. This is personal to me. I know firsthand that great change cannot come from a place of hopelessness. My son Carter's life taught me to run full steam ahead in the opposite direction of limitations and never to be. In this work, we know we are not providing one specific solution to one specific problem. We're doing something more, moving toward a transformation of spirit. And we try to spread that message one connection at a time. Here, on this podcast, we'll begin another. We're so happy that you're taking this journey with us. As we know, not all brain injuries occur during or directly after birth. In fact, according to data from 2016, almost 2 million neurotypical children under the age of 18 get concussions per year from sports injuries alone. Obviously, these numbers are higher in 2021 and even higher if we factor in the number of accidents that can happen outside of sports, falls, car accidents, etc. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Sasha Blaskovich, or Dr. B, and Ethan O'Brien, co-authors of Dr. B's Concussion Breakthrough, Exploring the Hidden Connection to Neck Injuries, and a Simple Guide to Naturally Heal Your Brain, and founders of the Concussion Recovery Kit. Over his career, Dr. B has advised many parents with concussed children, and Ethan has been in their shoes, having experienced 10 concussions himself between the ages of 8 and 19 Together, Dr. B and Ethan share practical strategies for recovering from a concussion naturally without costly or potentially harmful drugs or surgery. This is a topic I'm very passionate about and we have a lot to cover. So let's get started. Okay, well, I'm Emily. Um, I am the founder of the Who is Carter Foundation and thebrainpossible.com. Thanks for reaching out uh, this is an interesting topic and I'm really uh, excited to talk to you guys. So first, how do you two know each other? Yeah. So um, I, I've had a lot of concussions and uh, after a snowboarding in- injury that I had a couple years ago, uh, my dad was originally referred to Dr. Blaskovich for uh, one of his uh, hip injuries or his back injury or something uh, from playing ice hockey. And so uh, my dad was just talking to Dr. Blaskovich about my history of concussions and whatnot. And uh, Dr. Sasha said that, you know, he should come see me because I have a unique perspective on this. And, you know, he might be dealing with cranial cervical instability uh, based on what you're saying. So uh, I decided to come in and see Dr. Blaskovich. And uh, he completely opened up a, a whole new world of understanding what of what's going on behind the post-concussion symptoms and why they were recurring and coming back and forth for so many years. So um, basically that was the way that we met was uh, just being a patient of his. And uh, and I just was so uh, 
happy with the the information that he shared with me and that the knowledge that I gained from our from our conversations that I thought like you know there's got to be a lot of people out here that are dealing with the same problems that I've had and that have been searching for 10 or 15 years for solutions to their post concussion symptoms and yet not finding any real help or real, real relief and I felt like we really need to get this information out there into the world to uh, to help a lot of people that are dealing with these problems. Yeah. And, um, how many years ago did you say that was? Uh, that was probably three years ago when we first met. Yeah. Oh, okay. So a lot's happened in, in three years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And so what are the symptoms of a concussion? If our listeners have never seen anyone with one before, um, what, what should they watch out for in, in their own kids? There's probably about a watch list of roughly 50 plus things to look for. Uh, the, some of the most obvious ones would be uh, headache, neck pain, dizziness, uh, blurry vision, forgetfulness, irritability, um, diet or, or digestive and or cardiovascular types of glitches. So heart racing, diarrhea, constipation, uh, stomach acid reflux that is not related to food. Um, and the gamut goes on to, you know, reproductive and hormonal type issues. But the most common ones obviously would be the headache, dizziness, blurry vision, forgetfulness, irritability, I think are the big ones for, for parents to look for in their kids where there's a, there's a personality change, even, even if it's slight, that is out of character and, and not expected. So generally, uh, unfortunately, parents will dismiss it as the aging process or becoming a teenager or what have you. And so I think parents are probably the, the most dismissive of these things, even though they see them and live them. And, and I think that's a big word of caution is to look out for personality changes, even if they're subtle, uh, after a trauma that are unexplainable. And, and to take caution with the, with the notion that it's very probable that some level of, of neck and head injury did occur resulting in uh, the requirement for a healing period. Wow. And if that persists for a thorough uh, assessment period. Wow. And, and so Ethan, um, when did, you know, did you have all that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I had, I had my first concussion when I was eight years old playing ice hockey. Um, and that left me really susceptible to getting more concussions from lesser impacts that you know most kids might be able to bounce back from and not have a concussion or long-term post-concussion symptoms. So, but because I had such a bad brain injury when I was eight, uh, that left me susceptible to getting more brain injuries uh, through playing ice hockey and other sports at, uh, at school and stuff. So I ended up having somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 15 concussions uh, over my past 20 years. So... Wow. Been, been a lot of experience. And and did you not realize they were concussions? Oh no, I knew they were concussions. I I I I, I all the symptoms that Dr. Boscovich just mentioned, I had a lot of them, uh, especially like the headaches um, and the, the difficulty with concentration and memory and that kind of stuff. Um, I noticed when I was in school, my grades would go from like straight A's before a concussion to dropping to like B's and C's uh, after a concussion and like you know, there was one time where I had a concussion midway through the school year and I was a straight A student for the first two semesters and I was like C's and B's for the rest of the year after that because I just couldn't get back to memory, remembering all the, all the stuff that I needed to for quizzes and tests and stuff like I was prior to the injury. So, um, 
uh, I had to go through a lot of it. And uh, what was really interesting with meeting Dr. Boscovich and understanding what he was saying was that I went to go see so many other doctors. I went to the children's hospital, got an MRI on my brain to understand like, why am I still having post-concussion symptoms? And nobody really gave me the information that Dr. Blaskovich has relayed to me. So um, uh -huh. that was a really big motivating factor of like, let's you know get this information out to the world because I know a lot of people need it because I didn't get it for 15 years. So real quick, I don't want to talk about this part too much, but what did the doctors tell you at that children's hospital or other places yeah so um for example like when i first got my concussions and went to go see my family doctor or the walk-in clinic or whatever they would just tell you go home and rest so you're feeling better um you probably have a concussion but they didn't really say anything else like you know don't take some they didn't say anything about like taking supplements or doing like some daily exercises or different habits that i should be doing each day they basically just said go home and rest and you should be feeling better in a few weeks uh, but then after a few weeks, I still wasn't feeling better and I didn't know what else to do uh, to get better. So uh, once I got to say like back to say 70 to 80 percent, then I thought, OK, well, you know, I don't know what else to do to get better. I, I guess I'll just go back to playing hockey and playing sports because being a young kid, you don't really want to be sitting out on the sidelines for weeks and weeks watching all your friends and teammates play and, and you know, being the one. And sitting out when you're not sure you know how to get better or you know if there is anything that's going to be worse down the road if you do come back there's just like a, a very a big void of of education uh both to me and to my parents and so we didn't really know exactly what to do and when i went to go to the children's hospital and got the mri done on my brain um they basically just looked at my brain and they said yeah we don't see anything wrong with your brain there's no brain bleeding or anything really serious so we don't know why you're having these post-concussion symptoms and you know we don't really have any suggestions for you and that was pretty much it and i waited like six months to get that mri and i was hoping that that was going to be the thing that I was like oh you know every you know the clouds will part and i'll know exactly what to do but it didn't materialize yeah i think i've heard uh similar stories for other situations brain injury <clears throat> related not necessarily concussions but that's pretty pretty common the parents are hoping that for these answers and they don't get them so can you tell us about your book um what was the inspiration for dr b's concussion breakthrough exploring the hidden connection to neck injuries and the simple guide to naturally heal your brain well, so it's basically, this has been on my bucket list for probably well over a decade and a half when I first discovered uh, this issue on myself and how much of a missing nugget that was in, in medical daily practice. And, and when I had Ethan come in here and we went through Ethan's case and, and uh, as, as I was treating Ethan one day, he, he perked up and said, uh, you should write a book about this, uh, this stuff. This is pretty interesting. And I said, it's it's been on my list. He said, yeah. he said, well, maybe I can help you. And I said, sure, that sounds good. And then he said, mm -hmm. well, how about if I come and uh, interview you every Tuesday morning and, and we'll put it in book form and we'll get the information out there. And I said, sure. I didn't expect that to materialize, but it actually did. And like, like uh, clockwork, Ethan was here six o'clock every Tuesday morning. And after a year's worth of doing that, uh, we put this together and, and this is where we are now. So I'm thankful to Ethan for, for putting up with me and my rambling and mumbling and stumbling as I try to talk sometimes. And then we got this put together. So hopefully it'll be beneficial and helpful to some people out there that are going through these things that are, that are getting bottlenecked. And, and in my personal practice, 
just in this local area here. And there are people that come from all over the place to get assessed. But just even just the local people from around here, it, it's it's turned out to be quite a prevalent uh, pathology that is is quite commonly occurring um, in automobile collisions and other sports injuries, slip and falls, uh, bar fights, you name it. Um, that is is not being addressed for what it might be, and and so oftentimes um, when these people have come uh, in here with chronic persistent symptoms where they've had their brain assessed numerous times by way of CT scan, MRI, seeing neurologists, neurosurgeons, all, all sorts of other physicians that have all been focusing on the brain. Uh, the missing link ends up being in the upper part of the neck and it's become quite commonplace for, for us here to be able to diagnose that on patients and finally shed some light on, on the issues that they've been having, uh, which is quite enlightening for, for them. And it's very gratifying for myself and for our staff here to be able to provide that information and, and some guidance and, and a new path that people can navigate that'll provide them with some answers and some relief. Right. Yes. Yeah, so you can diagnose something with the neck? Instability. Yeah. So the fact is that most concussions, if we're going to call them just concussions in the stereotypical standard way, are, are momentum-based injuries. So there's an acceleration or, or, or a velocity or a speed that occurs, and then that gets decelerated by either an object or another you know, player if it's in a game, um, where not only the head accelerates and decelerates, the other components below the head also accelerate and decelerate. And so as the head comes to a stop, there's still acceleration in the top neck bone, which just underlies the head. And then when it stops, the second one keeps going. And so there's this domino effect. Of, of these bones having to come to a complete stop. And in doing so, uh, it puts ligaments which connect bone to bone at risk for being either stretched or torn. And when those ligaments are stretched and or torn, their new state is such that they don't stably hold those bones together that they attach to. And when that wow. occurs, you have a lax or a loose or, or an unstable joint. And if that joint by this default is a joint that's supposed to protect the brain stem and spinal cord. It's not able to do so accordingly anymore. And actually it ends up being the perpetrator in the neurological compression, which leads to the symptoms. Wow. Because the number one responsibility of our, of our skull and spinal canal is to protect the brain and the spinal cord and, and, and brain stem. And secondarily it's for motion and function. And so when that motion and function becomes excessive and it can become excessive, it then results in being the, the, the causator of the neurological symptoms that a person can manifest. Wow. Okay. So what I'm trying to imagine though, well, what kind of diagnostic testing do you do differently than the, the doctors at the children's hospital that Ethan went to see? Sure. The focus, in, like Ethan said, here is on the neck and it is a a video x-ray, so the patient will move their head and neck through all three ranges of motion and, co and combinations thereof. And by doing so, we can delineate what, what's uh, happening between each of the bones in the neck and whether wow. in whichever direction, whether it's forward, backward, left, right, or rot rotation-based, if it's in excess of what would be expected. And then we also quantify how much in excess it is of what would be expected. And, and you know, lo and behold, the expected is actually very minimal. There's not a whole lot of actual movement between each two adjacent bones that is supposed to occur. 
And so when you add that little bit of each of the segments, you get this global amount of movement that we can see, but between each two separate bones, it's not very much. And so when that gets exceeded, and again, we can quantify that, there are criteria or guidelines that have been published and accepted that quantify the magnitude of a person's ligament injury resulting in some kind of a permanent impairment level. And that permanent impairment level is one factor, but the second factor is how does that excess mobility affect the nervous system and what are the symptoms that the person will have as a result of that nervous system being affected. So an example is, you know, the brainstem, and it is the brainstem area generally that gets affected in this. The gamut of 50 symptoms that I explained are all co-responsibility of that part of the brainstem. You know, the main ones being balance, equilibrium, and just increasing pressure inside the head. Because as those bones move out of position, and it could be, you know, for a moment or for long term, the drainage of the brain fluid that the brain is making is getting compromised. And so the, the amount of fluid being made by the brain, so the cerebral spinal fluid, is exceeding how much is draining through the area of the upper neck, thereby accumulating inside the brain, causing itself to pressurize itself. Hence, you're getting brain-like symptoms, but the origin of that is not the brain. It's the area where the, where the head meets the neck or the skull meets the neck that is a bottleneck due to the instability causing a physical compression of the brainstem area. And secondarily, it also narrows the channels that drain the fluid from the brain, causing an accumulation inside the brain, which then, in essence, when you have too much hydraulic fluid in an area, the pressure increases. Hmm. That's fascinating. So what is the concussion recovery kit? So the concussion recovery kit is essentially a combination of three things. We have education, we have supplements, which are very important after a brain injury so that you get the nutrients and the, the tools to basically, you know, deal with the oxidative stress and the inflammation in your brain. And then the third component is some tools that help with symptom relief. So Dr. B has created a, a Dr. B's trigger pointer, which is an S-like, S-like uh, designed tool that you can wedge into your neck or into your temples or wherever you have very sore muscles after a concussion and by applying sustained pressure to it for 30 seconds to a minute you help relieve the lactic acid in that sore muscle and it helps go back to equilibrium Uh, and some of the other tools that we include are like a sleep mask if you wanted to rest or sleep during the day uh, blue light blocking glasses that help reduce symptoms related to light and help you improve your sleep so that you get a good deep sleep and, and you can repair and restore while you're sleeping. And um, so essentially the concussion recovery kit is kind of like the idea was kind of like creating a first aid kit for concussions where it has all the tools and all the information that you need to know to then be able to go and handle your own concussion, even if you aren't getting the answers that you need from your doctor. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. So it's something that can just be bought on your website? Yep, that's right. Yeah, so they can buy the kit. Uh, We ship out all the products to them, and then they get immediate access to an online course, and we email out our our ebook, and we have a recipe book as well that gives them some examples of the foods that they should be eating or and the diet, uh, the dietary changes that they should be making while while they're recovering from concussion. I want to hear about those foods. (laughs) I'm struggling between wanting to go through my questions, but I also want to know all about how you naturally heal with food. How does that help? 
Yeah, so foods, um, they contain a lot, if you're eating a lot of antioxidant foods, uh, that helps reduce the inflammation in the brain because essentially a brain injury is kind of like a bruise on the brain. Mm-hmm. Inflammation starts occurring and then oxidative stress starts occurring and then that oxidative stress starts to damage uh, healthy brain cells um, by essentially removing one electron so they become an unstable molecule in the brain. And uh, so essentially you want to try and eat a lot of fibrous foods, a lot of vegetables, um, some fruits, uh, nuts, uh, nothing that is like fast foods or trans fats or fried foods, anything that is somewhat inflammation causing in the body, Um, sugar, uh, pop and alcohol, those are all bad ones too. So you want to try and eat like whole foods, natural foods, as many vegetables as possible. Um, If you are going to eat meat, then clean forms of meat that don't have potential antibiotics or, or, you know, fed on a corn diet or whatever, because that could be inflammatory in your body. And um, I think the the main gist is a whole food plant-based diet with minimal animal protein. Really? And so when you have that within your diet and assuming there's not a lot of spray on the on the produce that you're that you're consuming, um, it has an anti-inflammatory, anti-oxidative effect, which will not only heal the brain, but heal most other things in our body as well that are looking yeah. to regain some sense of neutrality. But ultimately, like the like Ethan said, fibrous uh, fibrous material basically binds and pulls out the garbage that's kicked on in our system. And there's this brain gut connection that a lot of people understand and talk about. And so the cleaner you can get your gut, the cleaner your brain's going to be. And, you know, in in essence, in a nutshell, animal proteins aren't healthy for us. And I think when you do consume them, uh, it is essential, like Ethan said, to make a point of sourcing, quote unquote, healthy animal protein that hasn't been hormone fed or antibiotic treated um, and is hopefully locally raised where you can actually know where you sourced it and how they've produced it. And so, yes, it is more expensive, but uh, ultimately having a more of a vegetarian diet is not more expensive. It's the meat that usually ends up costing the most. And so if you reduce the amount of of animal protein that you consume, but then have it be high quality and, and know where it's been produced and how it's been produced and and then supplement the rest with as many vegetables as humanly possible a person will actually lose a lot of weight by eating more not to mention that they're going to feel infinitely better and healthier even if they don't have a concussion and then the nuts and seeds i mean those are obvious uh, the the plant fats and oils are extremely essential for brain health yeah some some more than others is that right or all of them Kind of the consensus is if they look like the part, they're usually better for it. So there's, you know, right. partner like brain. walnut. <laughs> yes, looks like a brain, pecans. And so then there's the almond, right? Looks like the amygdala in the brain and, and it's even named after it. And and therefore we, you know, have come to the understanding that you know, research has shown that those are actually beneficial foods, foodstuffs for that body part. I've heard that recently. That's fascinating. So have you just uh, adopted that uh, way of eating and, and will eat that way forever, Ethan? Yeah, um, so that was one thing that I, I just started to experiment with in university. Um, I'd gotten a really bad concussion prior to university, and it was lingering on for like six or eight months. And when I went into my first year of university, I was 
really struggling to uh, do the tests because they were a lot harder than high school. And I was also noticing that my brain just wasn't coming up with the exact answers that I needed to be able to write down or the exact formulas. Like there was always, it would be like 80% there, but some of it was kind of murky and that would end up leading to lost marks and stuff. So I started looking into like, what are the natural things that I can do to boost my brain power or to help you know, overcome these different issues that are related to concussions. So I started making a lot of diet changes in university. Um, I was the guy that was eating like a, a banana in class or like different fruits, or I'd have like some Greek yogurt and everyone else is going down to the cafeteria or getting fast food and stuff. And I'm just eating, you know, natural healthy foods. And that was kind of what I got known to be as. And uh, so it was kind of funny because everyone would call me, Oh, you're like the banana and yogurt guy. <laughs> and uh but, but yeah, like I, I really noticed a big difference from changing my diet because in my first year of university, I was I was doing very poorly. I was on the verge of failing out. I was on academic probation. And that was really un, uncommon for me other than the times right after I had concussions because I was typically a, a straight A student. Um, but slowly after um, implementing a good diet, uh, up, upping the supplements that I was taking and, and implementing some of the other routines that we talk about in the book, uh, my my brain started uh, feeling better. I started doing a lot better on tests. And by the end of university, I was back to being like a straight A student on the Dean's Honor Roll. So I got to witness personally what the difference was between year one and year four and and how those habits accumulated and, and really helped uh, throughout the years of, of my university school. What are some of those other habits? Are they exercises or? Yep. So uh, exercising um, where you're testing the body uh, both balance wise while you're working out. So um, I did some training where essentially you're working out on like you'd be balancing on an exercise ball on your knees. So you're, you have that whole stabilization aspect, but then you're also doing curls or shoulder presses or you're standing on a basu ball where the ground is, is unstable and by doing those different types of exercises, you're basically essentially retraining the brain and, and your coordination skills. And at first I was, I was pretty bad at it, but eventually I, I got really good where I could balance on exercise ball for multiple minutes doing exercises without having to put my feet down. Um, so it's, it's a, a kind of when you, when you do have a brain injury, you essentially need to retrain the brain um, through different exercises to get it back to the way it was previously. Uh, another thing that I uh, do very regularly is taking supplements and going back to talking about foods is um, there's a major lack of nutrients in the food these days just because of the land has been over farmed for so many years. Um, so e even though you might be eating tons of, you know, very healthy vegetables and stuff, there's still is a chance that you're not getting enough of the nutrients that your brain needs. And I was reading one study that was saying that brain metabolism goes up by 140% after a concussion. So essentially you need to have a whole lot more nutrients coming into the system. And often people can't eat that much food to be able to make up for that, that deficiency in the brain um, in terms of the nutrients that it needs to be able to fight off the inflammation and the oxidative stress. So uh, one of the really important things is, is, new, is uh, taking supplements each day or eating very, uh, very high quality uh, superfoods that are full of nutrients. It's the concentration of the nutrients that is essential when you need it the most. So when you're concussed, I mean, just the diet in and of itself does not have enough concentrated nutrients. There's, there's lots of stuff there, but it's getting the concentrated nutrients in that you need the antioxidants and the anti-inflammatory and the healing agents 
that should be supplemented at least for that 30-day period uh, once you start them. What, what kinds of supplements are these for this, let's say, 30-day period? Yeah, so in, in our supplement powder that we put together, we have 19 different supplements in it, and it's all mixed into just one blend. So someone can just take a scoop, uh, mix it in water or a smoothie or juice and drink it down rather than having to swallow 15 or 20 different pills each day and coordinating with meals or without meals and all that kind of stuff, which really just throws up different roadblocks that make it hard for people to do it. So uh, some of the supplements that we have in our in our supplement blend, uh, we have a high, high quantity of vitamin C, we have creatine, magnesium. Uh, zinc, we have the vitamin B complex, we have vitamin E, um, selenium, uh, N-acetylcysteine, NAC, uh, and, and a, a bunch of other supplements as well. Hmm, I take a lot of those things already. Perfect. <laughs> but so do you do testing though to see what people's levels are or is this just kind of you assume that they need these supplements? I know that we're deficient. I 100% agree with you. Our soil's deficient, so our food is. And I think for, for most part, um, especially with our healthcare system the way it is here, um, the challenge is, is getting the testing. It's not quite as simple as in the States. So we're in Canada right now, and our, our medical system doesn't predicate for testing um, prophylactically because the, the medical system, the doctors will think that, you know, getting this stuff tested is not relevant. So you'd have to do it through a naturopath and that's all adding expense. And so for the expense of, of taking a, a supplement for 30 days or 60 days, far, it becomes far less than getting tested to see if you need mm-hmm. the supplement. So it's much more logical for the average person to basically supplement and see what the result is versus testing for deficiency. And, and I think ultimately the, the biggest thing is as someone does that and it proves to not be effective possibly, that's when I think testing would seem medically indicated. And then I would certainly push for them testing for hormonal balance. Because uh-huh. with that whole pressure system that I explained to you of the lack of drainage, but yet CSF continues to be made, there is a probability and a possibility that because of the excess pressure in the brain, that the pituitary also gets compressed. And when it gets compressed, it'll affect the entire hormonal balance in our body. So pituitary hormone testing, for me, as far as I'm concerned, is the most essential thing if a person's non-responsive to therapies and supplementation, because then there has to be some kind of a compressive force that's affecting the the control, release, and sense of of hormonal balance within the body, Mm -hmm. which goes through the thalamus, hypothalamus, pituitary system. So... What are some of the common uh, treatment misconceptions when someone has a concussion? When, when you see a patient who has suffered a concussion, where do you typically start? First off, it's a very, very thorough history interview to mm-hmm. determine basically exactly what happened as far as they can recollect. So those are mm-hmm. called assumed facts. So I'm assuming that what they're telling me is factual because they can recall it. And, and most people can recall it quite well. And then after that, there are a few neurologic and orthopedic tests that are standard. And there's a few that I've developed that I've found to be either um, uh, inclusive or dismissive of the possibility that they've sustained upper cervical ligament injuries. And so if I run those tests and they're positive for showing that there's a probability that they have the instability, I won't always start with the imaging. Uh, I will start with the course of maybe six treatments twice a week for three weeks and it'll be to address the hyper-responsive muscles 
that are in the local area of that instability to see how the patient responds as far as a reduction in symptoms, a reduction in pain, because if those muscles can be reset that are working so hard to stabilize instability, then they should be able to stabilize the instability better. And in doing so, the effect of the shifted bones putting pressure on the spinal cord and brainstem resulting in the, the blockage or the reduction of the drainage channel should be neutralized for a period of time where they should actually have more mental clarity, less headaches, less blurry vision, uh, better balance, um, better memory. All those things should be uh, affected positively by that. And then if and when the symptoms return, which in, in the cases of instability, they will return. It's just a matter, is it in a couple of days? Is it in a couple of weeks? Then the discussion comes to the table as to, you know, we need to possibly validate more so for the patient's benefit so that they have a better understanding of what's going on as opposed to for my benefit. Uh-huh. Because my suspicion after 20 years of, of dealing with patients like this and 26 years of living with it myself is I'm pretty confident when I listen to the person's symptoms and do these tests and, and do these trial treatments that they likely have that. And, and it's been very uncommon that I've been incorrect on that. Um, but for the patient's um, better understanding and well-being, for them to know exactly what's wrong and see it for themselves, after I've explained right. it to them, for me anyways, that was about 80% healing when I finally discovered what my problem was. Even though I had a suspicion, it was never validated. And this notion of, or the sensation of a bobblehead or that my head was too heavy for my neck. And when I would get adjusted or treated by my colleagues, even though it was probably the most effective type of treatment, I would always resist because it always felt in certain positions like they were going to rip my head off of my neck and I had to resist. Yeah. And that sensation was, was valid because my upper neck was unstable. And so they wouldn't have dislocated my head off my neck, but that's what it felt like. And so Right. My natural instinct to splint and not fully relax was was valid and justified. And, and I'm glad I never fully relaxed because it is a ticking time bomb. Hmm. So that can get injured worse, can get injured worse with manipulation. And so in essence, knowing that you have instability up there, uh, it's a soft contraindication to forceful manual adjusting of the neck. So you're talking about chiropractic care? Yes. And you think that that is really helpful, but then you're saying that you resisted and you liked that you resisted because maybe it, you could have gotten more injured? Correct. Yes. I said from the therapies that I did try, it was the most helpful, but without, yeah. the, without the knowledge of the fact that there's instability there, it, yes. it puts because it's a forceful movement of bones that occurs in a very controlled fashion, Right. if you don't take into account that the ligaments are lax there, you could create more injury. Right. So you have to know who you're, they have to be very skilled and know kind of what they're dealing with is what you're saying, whether there's instability there. And it's, yeah. And it's not so much the skill in the adjusting, it's the skill in the diagnostics. It's, it's knowing what's wrong because then the okay. adjusting becomes a moot point. It's knowing that there's a contraindication and then how to treat it differently because chiropractic is not just adjusting. There's probably about 230 known and accepted techniques within chiropractic. And there's even more than that that aren't run to the mill, but are very effective. And so what I use, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a muscle technique. It's called NIMO, N-I-M-M-O, which is basically acupressure in, okay. a, in a nutshell. And it's, a, you know, the technical term is ischemic compression. And mm-hmm. so by squeezing out all the juice out of a portion of muscle, you force a reset because once you've 
pressed it and held it for long enough and the lymphatic system has drained away the garbage that you've squeezed out, the moment of release, the only thing that can fill that void is fresh blood because our blood goes in one direction and by way of valves, it can't go backwards. Hmm. So the only thing that will fill that void is fresh blood full of nutrients and oxygen. And so you will regenerate or reset that piece of muscle tissue. And ultimately our brain and our muscles or neuromuscular system is what coordinates um, control and stability of an unstable joint. And by doing so, it's a perpetual cycle of contract, relax, contract, relax. And then at some point in time, it's done that so many times that the muscles hyper-contract. And when they hyper-contract, then you have this so-called subluxation in chiropractic, which is a misalignment. And that misalignment can either be addressed by adjusting, or if you know that there's instability, by releasing those muscles and allowing the muscles to coordinate that instability better for a period of time until they lock up again. And so chiropractic is not the only profession that uses manual treatments. I find this actually, this problem even more so in in physiotherapists dealing with patients because they will do a lot of traction and mobilization, which is the same thing as adjusting, except it's not as forceful, but it's repeated multiple times during a session in an attempt to increase the range of motion of the joints. However, the problem is that the joints are too mobile. So if you're trying to increase the range of motion of joints that are already too mobile, you're going against the grain and it actually perpetuates the time required for the problem to actually neutralize and become more stable and and heal. Hmm. Yeah, I have listened to a lot of different perspectives and I have the ones that I personally love. I think that it also depends on, you're talking about a physical, we call them physical therapists here. And um, I think they're all different and it depends their, their skill level. Absolutely. Yeah. So some of them can be really, really good, but, um, one thing that I did a lot of was neuro, like movement. Have you ever heard of um, a not Benyel method? I did that a lot with my son in place of physical therapy. But um, that's fascinating. And thank you for explaining that to me. I have seen a lot of different chiropractors who practice a lot of different methods. And I, it's beyond me. I don't understand it. <laughs> But it, they can be so helpful in so many different instances and have been in my life. So I guess the gist of the whole thing is that it is possible to heal naturally from a concussion. Is that correct? Yeah. You yeah. always believe that? We believe healing naturally from a concussion is really the only way to do it. Because if if you think of the other options, like there's either expensive surgeries, which could be potentially very dangerous because you're dealing with brainstem and the neck and, and the head. Um, and then the other alternative that a lot of people turn to is just taking pharmaceutical drugs to, to dull the pain or numb the symptoms. And there's not really anything else out there that you can do other than, you know, try and do it naturally or you use pharmaceutical drugs to suppress the symptoms. So uh, essentially with a concussion, because it's a neurological inju- injury and that effect essentially affects our day-to-day lives and, and the way that we see the world and experience the world, uh, it's very important to to go about it naturally so that uh, you, you, you feel better overall and um, you just... Uh, yeah, there's not really any other alternatives. Like I've tried other things. You can, you know, you could go for treatments every couple of weeks, but that's really going to add up, and that's not really working at the core problem. That's just kind of putting a bandaid on top of what's going on. Um, because it's an ongoing process, and possibly, very possibly, for the the remainder of that person's life, mm-hmm. the empowerment 
of knowledge on how to address different components of this post-concussive realm that they get put into are probably the most effective because they can deviate towards that any day at any given time, provided that they can take the time to do so, uh, to basically improve upon the quality of their life that they now have and, and ultimately come to an understanding of their limitations. So things that will flare them up so that they, they can neutralize that or change how that happens so that their flare ups get reduced in frequency. Uh-huh. Also when they do get flare ups that they know how to address it from a, a self treatment standpoint, a, a supplementation standpoint, a dietary standpoint, a, a mental health standpoint. So, you know, meditative things and, and things that will effectively um, provide benefit to the autonomic nervous system um, and just their entire understanding of what they're going through so that they're not constantly in a, in a state of something feels really wrong and I don't know what it is. And, and, and so that fear of, you know, brain tumors or what have you, I mean, I've gone through all that myself, only come to come to the realization that, you know, this, this journey of 26 years and the last 20 being very focused on this as a physician um, have resulted in the conclusion that these are mechanical and physical problems in, in almost all the cases that if, if you know what exactly the mechanical and physical problem is, you can learn how to adapt and how to treat and how to deal with it yourself so that the empowerment lies in you and not the dependence and not a dependence on either pharmacological means to suppress your brain's ability to sense what's wrong or to be dependent on some kind of a passive therapy from whatever kind of practitioner that might be not to say that there's no benefit in that because sometimes that is one of the best things for a person but on a daily weekly monthly annual basis the empowerment of how to address it yourself whenever you need to however you need to is is to me the best gift that we can give to anybody that's dealing with this wow well i love that and i i think i know the answer to this but i'm going to ask anyway um have there been any cases that you have treated where one of your patients needed surgery or drugs and that that became necessary. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's more so the surgery, the drugs that comes on its own, because that gets prescribed pretty much everywhere they go uh, in different ways, whether it's, you know, anti-inflammatories, whether it's antidepressants, whether it's, you know, neurological blockers. Um, that's run of the mill. But the, the surgeries and the end of, ends up being fusion surgeries, absolutely, yeah. That is uh, sometimes necessary. I, yes, and whether I just get the most severe cases that are out there because of what I focus on, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's definitely that's been the sort of the, the end of the road uh, as far as yeah. the, the, the pinnacle of what they need is, is a fusion surgery. Mm, right. Okay, so you say the longer that you wait uh, to start treatment, the worse the brain injury can get. Why is that? I didn't actually say that, but generally the, the, the way the neurological injuries occur is that the longer that the pressure persists on whatever neurological structure it is, the more chance it has to become um, fibrotic or dysfunctional. And so nervous tissue, its reversion, which it can revert to proper functioning, is much slower than like a muscle or something like that. And so the longer there's a compressive force elicited on a neurological tissue, whether that would be the brain or the brainstem or a peripheral nerve, the longer the refractory period is before it can potentially recover. So that the more that that can be mitigated or reduced by way of whatever techniques, 
And the faster you can get to that, the, the more likely that any long-term prolonged compressive effects will degrade the nervous system where the compression is. Uh, so yes, that's absolutely correct. But what I was trying to say is that so far in this conversation today, I, I don't know that we've covered that. No, no, not in this conversation. Right. No. Yeah, uh, essentially, like, uh, a good way for people to visualize it is it's kind of like a wildfire in the brain. When you first hit your head, the, you know, there might be a little spark and there might be a little bit of fire in, say, one region of the brain. And if you don't address it right away, you essentially let that inflammation and the oxidative stress start to spread out. And it'll, it's, it's essentially like growing the wildfire in, like, a very dry summer heat. Um, because the, the oxidative stress and the inflammation is such a rapid process that happens, if people don't take immediate steps, then this process will continue to fester and fester and fester, and it grows and grows and grows until you get to the point where it's, it's you know, a very big wildfire, essentially, in the brain, and it, and it becomes a lot more difficult to then suppress that wildfire Whereas if you uh, attack it right away within, like I was reading one study that said uh, they tested within the first three hours giving people mega doses of omega-3s, uh, DHA and EPA. And they found that the, the, test, the, the study subjects had a way faster recovery from their post-concussion symptoms when they were administered the omega-3 within the first three hours after the concussion versus wow. the control group that got it like one to two days later. So um, it's, it's very time sense. sensitive. Got it. Got it. Thank you for explaining it. I'm a visual person, so that actually helps me. Me too, yeah. <laughs> In those cases conducive to your method, can you share some natural healing tips with our listeners, um, some other things they might want to do? Get your kit, and I guess part of the idea is with your tools, reducing sensory overload. Yep. Yeah. And anything else? And supplements? that you recommend that they do right away? Yeah, the, the, one of the most important things I think now, and, and I wish I would have known this back then, is, is uh, breathing. So hmm. by, by changing our breathing or, or focusing on breathing, uh, and this would be deep breathing, and there's a, yeah. there's a gentleman out there who has, has basically mastered this, and if you've known, you might have heard of it, it's called the Wim Hof technique, or yeah. Wim Hof yeah. method. And so this deep breathing, and then in affiliation with, cold water exposure, whether that would be a shower or a bath uh, or a tub, I should say, um, has a very positive and strong effect on our autonomic nervous system, which is the nervous system that is strongly affected in a negative way by these compressive forces when people have upper neck instability. And so the nerves in those areas or the cranial nerves can be um, retoned if you will, by, by using these techniques and it actually hyperoxygenates the system, mm -hmm. which is basically very healing and um, the autonomic, autonomic nervous system getting reset by these techniques is very effective because it gets scrambled quite, quite readily with these injuries. That I think is one of the most important things that I wish I would have known was looking into this the deep breathing and the cold water exposure. And then as far as something else, I'll let Ethan tackle the meditation. Yeah, so another great thing is uh, yoga and meditation. Um, yoga really helps with just stretching out the body and getting into more of a relaxed state so that you're not in kind of like a rigid, uh, you know, tensed 
state that could potentially, you know, create more neurological symptoms. Um, and meditation is another really great one. Like if someone starts experiencing a lot of symptoms at some point throughout the day, if they just stop what they're doing and take, you know, five to 15 minutes to just go down, go and lay down and just close their eyes and listen to like a guided meditation or, or, you know, some soft, uh, you know, rain sounds or, or waves or whatever that can really help just sort of relieve the stress and, and the anxiety that might be coming up with the, with the tension that's going on in the neck or the brain. So I've, I've used meditation myself a lot, um, to, to really help when, when I'm feeling overloaded. Do you get children to do that? Yes. <laughs> Little ones, the yeah? Breathing, the breathing, uh, yes. Because if you do it with them, they'll do it. They kind of think it's cool. Yeah. yeah. And what's neat is, uh, I think what's really neat that Wim, Wim Hof has done is is the sort of holding your breath. So the, the proof in the pudding while you're doing it. So you have a, a child or an adult even hold their breath without telling them what they're about to experience. And, and you time that you know, holding breath duration and it's like 30, 40 seconds. And then you go through these few cycles of, of 40 breaths and then you have them hold their breath again and lo and behold they can double or triple how long they can hold their breath and, and you can just watch in their eyes the shock of them coming to the realization of oh my word I should have you know wanted to breathe by now but I don't and so they're kind of fighting this notion of the fact that they sense that they don't have to take a breath yet but yet they mm -hmm. feel like they should be taking a breath and so the the proof that they're basically they can control their bodily functions by just hyperoxygenating their system it is fascinating to them. The cold, the cold water exposure is a little bit more challenging. Oh yeah. Unless it's a pool, I suppose, or something fun for them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have, hot summer day. I have not uh, taken to that. I, I tried it for a little while as well and it, it feels great and it wakes you up, but <laughs> it's hard for me to, uh, do the cold showers. Um, if our listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where should we direct them? Um, also, can they can they come see you? You said you have patients from all over. Yes, so Europe, Australia, America, Canada. Hmm. Um, my personal clinic website is the Whiplash or just WhiplashClinic.com. So www.WhiplashClinic.com. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a location in Canada uh, on the, the West Coast, uh, just uh, just east of Vancouver. And then I also have a location just south of the border in Linden, Washington. And so um, with the border issues right now, I can address the situation in, in, in both places. And then uh, if people want to get the concussion recovery kit, they can go to concussionrecoverykit.com. Uh, that's where we have the supplements, the books, the online course, so they can get the entire kit if they wanted the whole package. Um, and we've also put together recently uh, motionxray.ca for anyone that's interested in getting their neck examined with the motion x-ray. Uh, Dr. Boscovich is, is one of the only two doctors in Canada that has one of these uh, devices. Wow. So uh, it's, it's very rare. And most doctors don't even know that it exists, so it's it's difficult for a lot of people to to get ref, you know to, to even get the knowledge or understanding that this thing is out there. So we wanted to create this website to to bring more awareness to uh, what it can assess and, and the difference that it can make for people's lives. Because in in my personal experience, like Dr. Boscovich was saying, that like you know when you're going through 15 years of post concussion symptoms and no one's been able to really give you any kind of 
uh, you know, relief or advice or whatever, uh, you can start thinking like, you know, am I going to be like these football players that I see in the movie Concussion that end up with CTE by the age of 40? Like, do I only have 15 years left in my life? Is my brain rotting? Is, you know, what's going on inside of my head? Um, when when I came to see Dr. Blaskovich and I got the motion x-ray done, that was visual proof that there's nothing wrong with my brain itself. It's all something to do with my neck. And I just need to learn the, the the tools and the techniques to be able to address my neck issue whenever it arises. And I, I, I'm still in my 20s, so I still enjoy, uh, you know, playing hockey, going snowboarding, doing outdoor activities. So I didn't really want to, you know, completely quit everything and just, you know, live in my house and, you know, sit and watch TV on the couch every day, right? So I needed to figure out methods to be able to still live an active lifestyle, even though I was dealing with a permanent neck injury from getting hit from behind an ice hockey. Wow. Well, actually, I was sitting here wondering, do you still do all that or do you just do yoga? <laughs> so you, <laughs> answered, you answered my question. Well, that's great to know that you feel well enough and healthy enough to get back out there and still enjoy all those physical activities. Yeah, yeah. Growing up here in Vancouver, there's there's so many outdoor activities to do. It's it'd be a real shame if you're just you know housebound pretty much for the rest of your life. So I just knew that wasn't an option. So I just kept looking for for ways to to overcome the the symptoms and the issues that I was dealing with. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, to both of you for your time. I know your time is valuable, and also thank you for. Uh, being patient with me and rescheduling this. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners um, at the brain possible to be complete? I, I think the most important thing for, for people going through this. And if there's parents who have children going through this is to be as proactive as they possibly can to advocate for themselves because um, seeking second opinions, fourth opinions, if they're not, getting closure or, or think they're getting closure in the responses that they're getting that uh, any medical professional's opinion is just that it's their opinion and what we render our diagnoses which are split levels of knowledge and we're not always right and 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 the limitations that we have as physicians are predicated by our level of education our level of interest our level of personal experience in whatever we're dealing with and also our, our personal level of interest in researching what we don't know. And so not every physician is the same where when they don't know something or something continues to come to them that they provide answers for, but the answers don't seem logical and the results are not very um, effective. Uh, there are physicians out there that won't take the initiative to try to learn more about that and research it. And there are obviously reasons for that of being busy and, and spread thin already but at the same time there are physicians out there who do take passionate um, courses in their life of learning more about certain things and 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 seeking out those types of physicians and thank heavens for the internet and the ability to read blogs and and you know join support groups and chat groups that are dealing with similar like issues where people can actually be exposed to different physicians around the globe who are interested and who are uh, proficient and knowledgeable and, and are constantly learning about certain subject matter that right. can provide hopefully, you know, more reliable answers where the, the results are, are, you know, akin to that knowledge so that the patients out there that are seeking for specific things can get specific 
information that will help their specific situation and benefit from it. Oh, that's beautiful. I appreciate um, hearing a physician's perspective on that. Um, so many people hear what one person says that they think that they're just so much smarter than me. They went to medical school or, and, and I'm in a hospital. Yeah, we don't walk on water. And I think people really need to listen to their inner, inner voice and their intuition because 10 times out of 10, they're right. They just need somebody to validate it for them. And so yeah. Uh, listening to the first physician's, uh, you know, rendition of what they think is going on with you um, is very futile. And I think, I think people really need to take their, their health into their own hands more and yeah. advocate and fight for their rights because they have the right to be uh, diagnosed properly and, and, and help properly. You know, the, the medical professionals are there for the patient and it's not the other way around. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that where they, they, you know, hesitate to challenge anything the physician says for fear of the physician getting upset or, or relinquishing their services. And, and I think, you know, in 10 out of 10 cases, that's a blessing in disguise. And so um, obviously there's, you know, the other end of that where a patient can, can become very uh, non-respectful. And I think, I think there's a fine line uh, in that, but I think, you know, for the, for the most part, people taking their health in their own hands and advocating for themselves and, and in a professional and, and diplomatic way, if they're not getting the answers and the results that they think they should be getting and things just don't feel right or don't make sense, they should seek a second or a third or a fourth opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That's perfect advice for our audience. Um, have a wonderful day. What's the weather like there? It's nice. Is it? A little bit cloudy, but it's, it's the sun's going to come out and it's, in Canadian, it's uh, probably about three degrees or four degrees Celsius. We've been having a, have you heard about our cold spell here in the States? The oh, whole yeah. country. <laughs> <laughs> it's starting to warm up though. Well, thank you for your time. Um, have a great day. Thanks for your time. Sounds great. Thank you for interviewing us. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Take, take care. Day. Thanks. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today and that you learned something new. Do you have a question for either of our guests? What else would you like us to cover in the realm of concussions or post-trauma traumatic brain injuries? We love bringing you useful and inspiring content. So if there's something that you would like to hear discussed, give us a shout. Email us at info at thebrainpossible.com. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and share our podcast if that feels true for you. You may also consider visiting our website for more information on stories, therapies, and products that we think that you will love. Reminder, the profits from every purchase you make in our shop directly benefits our foundation and allows us to bring you conversations like the one that we had today. As always, thank you for spending your precious time with us at The Brain Possible. The Brain Possible podcast is fully funded and operated by the Who is Carter Foundation, a nonprofit organization based in Kansas City. On April 9th, Who is Carter will be hosting its third annual gala fundraiser, and we would love for you to join us. Your support at our gala ensures that we're able to continue to bring you podcasts, resources, and more into the coming year. There are two ways to attend. If you live in the Kansas City area, attend in person at the Abbott Luxury Event Space in the Crossroads. Join us at 6 p.m. 
for great food, an inspiring program, live music, and unique auction items, such as a stay at the Ritz-Carlton Cancun to a Guatemala fishing resort trip, and even a VIP meet and greet with Cheap's wide receiver, Tyreek Hill. And of course, we're taking every available COVID-19 precaution to ensure your safety. If you don't live in the Kansas City area or are more comfortable staying in, you can still join us virtually. Tune in online on the evening of the 9th. You'll even have full access to bid on silent auctions. If you don't live in the Kansas City area or are more comfortable staying in, you can still join us virtually. Tune in online on the evening of the 9th. You'll even have full access to bid on silent auction items online. Visit whoiscarter.org backslash gala for more information and to purchase tickets. That's whoiscarter.org backslash gala. We look forward to being with you on April 9th.